Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored. My chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Brian Gregson is one of the fishing industry's most sought-out creative minds. An award-winning photographer and cinematographer, Brian's work has been featured internationally in publications and ad campaigns for countless companies. His talent speaks for itself, but it's really his incredible work ethic and humility that glows from behind the camera. In this episode of Anchored, I was finally able to get Brian on the show to share a little bit about his compelling life and career. Brian is incredibly private, and I'm thankful he was willing to take the time to tell his story in hopes it may inspire others to work hard for their dreams. I was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. I was raised in Utah and Oklahoma, and I've lived all over the country. Utah and Oklahoma. Yeah. I always picture both of those places as being very different. Extremes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. why, why the switch? My family moved to Oklahoma for work, and we moved back to Utah for health. My father was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and... When you have multiple sclerosis, being hot all the time just adds, like, the symptoms are more severe. And so you need to be in a cooler climate. Right. And so they moved back to Salt Lake City. It's hard interviewing somebody I've spent a few days with because I always feel like I know just enough to be intrusive and nosy and overstepping my boundaries. So I'm going to tiptoe very lightly around the timeline that I already know. Sure. Um, So if I overstep my boundaries at any point, just tell me to piss off. Sure. So your dad was sick. Now, I know that your dad ended up passing when you were like 16. Yes. 
Did, was he really close to you? Did your dad teach you how to fish or did he yes. take you fishing? Yeah. So what's the story behind that? Tell me all about it. Um, my dad was an angler. My grandpas were anglers. We just, that's something we did. In, in Utah? All over, yeah. Utah, Oklahoma, Idaho, Colorado, Montana. Big part of your life. Yeah, angling's always been a part of my life okay. since, a, since a child. Fly fishing? Just, I mean, regular fishing? I was taught to fish both because you learn the hard way. I have a spinning rod and a few spinners and hooks and sinkers. Mm-hmm. And then a fly rod, but you only get a few flies and there's no leader to tip it. Just what that's already on the rod. Mm-hmm. And when I was young, I wanted just to fly fish and I'd lose my flies. And by the time the hatch happened, I didn't have any flies. And so it's like, okay, so you learn how to fish. Like, okay, now I'm just gonna wait for the hatch and save my flies. And I'm gonna eat fish, you know, spinners casting. You lose your spinners, so you figure out how to put worms on a hook, sinker, you know, kind of high sticking. And then when the hatch happens, you know, you basically for me, I got parachute atoms and a elk hair caddis. And the elk hair caddis worked better for me as a kid because I can't control my drift and the caddis skate. Yeah. And so you kind of have a natural presentation by having a junk presentation. <laughs> sure. So it worked for a long time. And that's how I learned how to fish. I learned it was another, you weren't a fly fisherman or a bait fisherman or a gear fisherman. We were just anglers. Yeah. Was was growing up pretty normal? Your parents were together. You, yeah. You're the youngest of four? I'm the oldest of four. You're the old, wait, so. I have three younger sisters. I knew you had three sisters, but I didn't know you were the, the eldest. Yeah. So what, I mean, that was, an, 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 I'm totally jumping through your timeline here, but that would have been an insane amount of pressure when your dad died. Yeah, tremendous. How old were you? The 16. And you got pregnant at 16? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you realize that looking back now, you're 44? How old are you? 40? Yeah, I'm 43 or 44. Okay, so one of those. <laughs> I was born in 75. <laughs> okay. Looking back now, do you look at it and realize the pressure that would be on a, on a 16-year-old? Yeah, it's, it's a, it was a lot of pressure. I'm not going to hide from that for sure. It was, it's too much. Yeah. At the time for me, it was, it was absolutely too much. Can you see how any of that or how that entire situation and feeling that pressure would have evolved you into the person you are today? It made me who I am today. Did it drive you to the river? Did it drive you into like veering away from responsibility? Because I see you as being one of the most responsible people I've ever met. Was that all because of that time when you were 16? Um, I packed my bags and moved to Hawaii on a one-way ticket and lived in a cave. When how old were you? I think I was. Let's see, sixteen. I got pregnant. Had this guy. So it was probably like six, seventeen, eighteen. Were you running away from responsibility? I needed a break. Okay. Mentally. So you got in an airplane and you went. Mm-hmm. And I, I, mean, had a, I got a buddy pass from a friend, so I had a one-way ticket to Kauai. I had no idea what Kauai was or really where it was. Did you tell anybody you were leaving? I told my mom the morning I left. I walked out the door. I had twenty bucks in my pocket. Was she just gutted though? Because now you've got three sisters and a baby. Yeah, it wasn't good. Um, as far as that goes, responsibilities. She wasn't worried about my ability to survive. I'd been doing um, lots of outdoor work, soloing and giant backpacking trips and climbing trips. And I climbed most of the Tetons before I was 16. And it's totally, I worked at the, <clears throat> I got in a lot of trouble when I was a kid. And so as my mom felt it was best if I worked in the, in the mountains. And so she had a really good dear friend named Bob Raleigh, who was one of the premier salmon biologists. And he ran all the stream surveys in the West. He worked in Kodiak 
20 years before it was a, Alaska 20 years before it was a state and ran all the salmon up there. And so you're supposed to have a biology degree. And I was very efficient in the backcountry already as a young age because I'm not born and raised in it, but we, that's all I did. And so <laughs> I basically recorded all the, the data for them. And so I worked up in, and got in the paid, Bitterroot. Paid for it? Yeah. Okay. And so we'd spend you know, the entire summer basically backpacking around with tons of gear and doing stream surveys for salmon, which got me out of trouble for the summers and then back to school. And so one time they weren't there, and my grandparents were dropping me off on the way to Canada. And I just said, just leave me here. Like, they'll be here in a couple of days. It's totally fine. I think I was like 15 at the time. And my grandparents were like horrified that they're dropping me off. Um, and everything was fine. My mom wasn't worried. Your dad was Canadian. Yes, my yeah. dad was Canadian. So talk to me about Hawaii. So you get to Hawaii, mm-hmm. and what's the story there then? You literally got off an airplane and went into a cave? Am I thinking I had, about this right? Yeah, uh, somewhat. I had a friend who was there, and I stayed with them for a bit. And then... Long story short is they left, and I didn't really didn't know what to do. And so there was kind of like this little cave out there, and I just kind of stayed there until a tropical storm came in and basically flooded the cave. And there was a Hawaiian family that had been kind of watching me there every day. And there was basically just like, you know, where's your parents? And I looked really young at that time. So it really lucked out because I think if I was any older, might not have gone so smoothly. And then I ended up with the house and a job and living with um, uh, two brothers. In Hawaii? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you didn't just suddenly wake up one day and go, okay, I need to get back to my family. No. You stayed there? Yeah. I mean, this is going to be a real asshole question from me to you, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I'm super curious. Mm-hmm. Were you running away from, I, obviously you were running away from responsibility, but were you, like, were you being super thoughtless? It's a super back selfish now? move. Okay. Absolutely. How long did it last for? How long did you stay out there Years. for? Did you get to see your baby growing up? You know, for the first little bit, yes, and then no. Um, me and my son's mother got along, and we still do. They came out, they would come out, and I would take Sky. Okay, but what about your mom? Look, I'm just going to get real here, because it's been a little awkward, because I don't want to overstep boundaries, but I would be so angry at you. How does she handle it? You know, I, I didn't talk to her for a while. She just would have been so worried about I didn't you. I have not talked to pretty much anybody for a long time. Yeah. Um, I had a few friends that moved out. I don't know if they just came out there to check on me for a few months to make sure everything was okay. Was everything okay? What were you doing? No. My best friend and fishing partner had died. I just had a, a baby. I have no high school diploma. You're, I just, I just really needed to come to center. So did you come to center and how did you do it? Yeah, I did. And it took a while. And I had to like, probably work on myself a lot as a small young man and I think when that probably happens to people it's usually you're older in life and so you're a little more mature to know maybe how to work through that and it just took me a little longer okay were you still fishing traditional fishing and spear fishing and you know fishing for gts with uh, I think 16 foot bamboo poles at night and camping you know next has a bell on it I, I just learned all different just different types of fishing and more experience with being around water. Okay. So after you started to feel like you were in control of your own life, which I would imagine was a big part of this. Yes. And after you started to find yourself through the outdoors. Yeah. Do you remember the time, the first time where you thought, okay, I'm ready. I'm, I, I found myself to some degree, I'm ready to, to get back and. You know, it took a while. We lived on a nine acre farm with no power, no water. And I remember just 
being there for a long time and then kind of stuff went screwy with the house. <laughs> and so I was like, it's, it's just time. It's time to go and um, just get my life in order. How old were you? Good question. Early 20s. Okay. At this point, had you realized that you were a passionate photographer or that you enjoyed taking pictures? Yeah. I've always been around camera. My father had cameras. How did that all start? With taking photos? Mm-hmm. Taking photos, I've just been around cameras. I've been around photos. And I was never really like, I'm going to be a photographer. That was never like in the back of my head. And this is film days. And so you got to kind of have some money to shoot film. And so it kind of took a while for me to start really getting into that shooting on my own. I worked in front of the cameras for a little while at the snowboarder. Oh, cool. Right. And so, and then I got hurt really bad. And so it was an easy transition to kind of work behind the cameras and run a B camera and C camera and see how like the business runs and, and how you scan and edit with the old Nikon cool pics. It was really fun. And during that time, I'm I'm in Utah and... That's where the ski industry is. In the summertime, I was like, I just went fishing, and nobody went fishing. I mean, I remember trying to talk all my skiers, snowboard, and telling friends, like, let's go fishing. And they thought it was the weirdest thing. Really? <laughs> but there's so many snowboarders and skiers I can think of in the industry. Now. Ah, oh, okay. Now. But back then, nobody did it. I mean, I remember like seventh or eighth grade for like talent show, like bringing a fly rod and like walking outside the courtyard and casting and have all the students stare at you. Right. And they're just like, what are you doing? And I think that's that time I was like, nobody fishes. Did you like, this is just me being totally nosy now. Did you like the attention before? So think about your life before the tr- the trauma because right. it really is listen, a baby and a death in the family it's super traumatic yeah so before the trauma when you were you know behind the camera or when you were in front of the camera and you were hanging out with people in school were you just a different person did you like the attention no. were you were you ever that person no you were always sports either i played very competitive sports growing up like very extremely competitive baseball and i hated it i always i've never really liked the limelight and i think that's why i feel more comfortable being as a photographer and cinematographer is I get to sit behind the camera and I'm not the subject. I just kind of observe life through a really small right eye. Actually, when you (laughs) (laughs) very small viewfinder, I observe the world through. So, okay. But you've been doing that a lot longer than I thought. Yeah. Okay. When did you start doing that professionally? I'd say my first, like making a full go. I mean, I consider a professional photographer someone who's working full-time, making their 100% living off photography. And I would say that probably started for me in 2006, 8, 2008. When did you start making any money off of it? Uh, probably the late, ni- late like 1998, probably. Who were you selling your photos to? Whoever would buy them, like random stuff. Will would sell photos or a photo would get taken. I'd shoot with a buddy and their marketing people would buy it and... Who did you pitch to? I just can't see you being like, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, look at me, look at me. No, so it, was what, never, what, it was never that way. What'd you do? How did you promote? Because this was before social media. They all did it for me. Yeah, they all did it for the athletes. Oh. Like when we were doing like big slackline stuff and, and way back when, they already have like kind of a set idea of where this is going and who it's going to and how they're going to do it. It has a way before social media. So enter photography and fishing. Yes. What's the story behind that? I just always was fishing, and I have a really dear friend named Mark Yuhina, and he is from Taiwan, and he came to 
the U.S. to study and get his Ph.D. I believe he has two Ph.D.s. But he would travel out the West every year, and we would take him on an adventure. I just met him in a random parking lot. One morning on the middle Provo River, we had kind of got onto this early morning like cricket mouse bite, and it was like, don't tell anybody. you know. So we had it for like two weeks by ourselves, not one person there, because the guides all show up by the time it's over at 9 o'clock or with their clients. And I remember pulling in the parking lot, and there was a car there. I remember saying, Andy, he's like, did you tell anybody? Like, who is here? And I see on the back of the car a little E for, like, you know, Enterprise. It's a rental car. I'm like, oh, the tourist is here. And, you know, in a very thick Asian accent, whereas we're getting ready, I hear, like, you know, hello. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I was meeting a friend fishing, and he wouldn't be able to show up, so I'm just just here, and I just want to go fishing. Um, Can I fish with you? I was like, yeah, man, I'm like, sure. Like, do you know how to fly a fish? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, I'm like, okay, let's go. And since that day, we have gone, you know, he since moved back to Taiwan, but for 10 years, he'd come out in, to the West and we'd, we just took him everywhere because it was all foreign to him. So you want to go on the Snake River? Great, let's go to the Snake. You want to go to Montana, Idaho, Wyoming? We just take him on these great adventures. And he was very into cameras oh. and rods and he's really good at it. And so he came out and would leave stuff on purpose, but maybe accident. Because he would call ahead and we'd talk and he'd be like, oh, I got this cool camera. It's amazing. And does all these things. And you should learn about it. And then when we got there and then he'd go home and he'd be like, you know what? I can't use any of these rods or this camera where I got to go to school. So I'm just going to leave it here. So when I come back, it's here. But since it's here, you may as well use I it. I don't want it to be left in collect dust. It needs to be working. So you should take photos and you should send them to me and show me the West. I love this man right now. He is awesome. Um, a super dear close friend. And so that happened for a while. And one thing led to another. And then he kind of like, okay, Mark is totally helping me, really. And it was... Um, it was super cool. Those cameras are really expensive. Yeah. You, you, I'm assuming you didn't have much money. It came from very humble uh, beginnings. Why didn't you choose to guide or make a living that way in fishing? I never wanted to guide. Why? It's just not me. All my friends guide. And they always, uh, forever. I just didn't want to shovel water for a living and deal with somebody that maybe I didn't align with. Mm-hmm. On a, fishing is very personal for me. Totally. And I just wanted to keep it that way. And I found that I could work around fish with a camera. Okay, let me get back to your pictures. Because a lot of people know you. They've seen your name on the bottom of photographs. I mean, it did feel, though, like there was a, a point in time, six, seven, eight, it felt like 10 years ago for me. It felt like 10 years ago where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, your name was just everywhere. Did that happen? Was I, or was I just finally on to you and I started seeing it? Was there a moment where your career boomed? Yeah. So Ten what, years ago was like the, the big It was, the right? Big push, yeah. That's when I remember seeing it everywhere. Yep. May I ask the story behind that? Sure. The long story is I'd shot a ton in Utah and the surrounding states, and we had a stream access issue. Of, okay, you're shooting fishing photos mm-hmm. of just random people? Yeah, just friends and, and kind of just my, my own adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you weren't on assignment. You're just on your own yeah. time. How were you making money at this time? Because you were just shooting for fun, right? Yes. Um, at this time, I was working in a restaurant. Okay. What were you doing? A sushi chef. Really? Mm-hmm. At a very high end sushi bar. 
anything is there anything else where you like a secret spy or like <laughs> is there any other career you'd like to lay on the table now while we're sitting here <laughs> uh, no, that pretty much sums it up okay commercial fishing sushi chef mm-hmm. photographer collecting data yeah are those about is that about it for the most part yeah okay my whole life has revolved around fish in some way yeah no kidding right mm-hmm. okay all right so continue so you're going on these trips and you're taking these great photographs yes and and i came from the person I was taught was a very scenic with action. And the reason was, there's a bunch of reasons, but there's also like a business reason is because gear gets outdated. You're talking about the sorts of photos you're taking. Mm-hmm. Did, so you had a photography mentor? Yeah. So when I got hurt, I worked for the photographer that when I was on, well, I was shooting with and I lived in his house. And so I worked and did all the back end work for Will. Will? Wisman. Okay. And that's how I met like Tom Bai, because Tom Bai was the editor for Powder magazine. Aha. Uh-huh. This is pre-Drake. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and if I responded to emails, it was never in my name. It just came from the studio. So like I knew who Tom was, but I don't think Tom didn't know who me, I was, but he knew who I was working for. Yes. It was, it's a super big, small world, really. Was Will trying to show you how to take photos because he he wanted you to branch out and do your own thing, or were you supposed to always we're stay just, working? We're just our own little crew. Um, at the time, everybody in that crew was, a very, was at a very high level, mm-hmm. whether it was skiing, telemark, and snowboarding, and we never separated our crews into... Specifics, kind of same way as fishing. I never, we never pigeonholed anybody. It's like we all rode snow, and so we all filmed and shot together. It didn't matter if you skied or snowboard or telemarked or went on a toboggan or whatever. So, where does your career timeline go from there? So, I started working in the industry. I worked for a couple different film crews, and then back to sushi. You needed income, yeah. Okay. And photos are super expensive because film. Right. So, like, those guys would all bang nails all summer long to buy film. Okay, yeah. And so, during the non-winters, I would either go commercial fishing and come back and make sushi for the winter just to pay the bills. And that's kind of how I, I did that. And then when I stopped commercial fishing, I was kind of like, oh boy, what are we going to do now? Mm-hmm. And Utah closed over 400 rivers, over 400 public rivers to the public. So, my time was spent driving and fishing back in the other place I knew, Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana. Mm-hmm. And I found myself like only coming home basically to resupply, work as little as I possibly could to get back up there and really try to just fish and shoot photos. And I really didn't have an end goal there. It was just kind of something just to keep me busy and occupied, and I loved doing it. And was just like, okay, is this something that could maybe work? How did you start getting photos in all these fly fishing publications? The first big photo I had published was with Brian O'Keefe for Catch Magazine. And at the time, I loved Brian O'Keefe and I love Catch Magazine. And but they don't pay their photographers. And so I was in this predicament. They wanted to use this photo for a cover. And I needed a portfolio piece because I needed to have publications. And, and so I made... A personal decision to, okay, this one time I'm gonna, I'm just gonna send the photo and they can run it and I'm just gonna have to hope for the best. And then Volvo called me. I'm like, hey, we saw this photo on this magazine, Catch Magazine, 
and we'd love to buy it for our new cross-country Volvo XC. I think that's what they call it, Volvo XC. And we're going to start it in Scandinavia, and we're going to run it all the way across Scandinavia, and then we're going to rebuy it again the year after, and we're going to run across Europe, and then we're going to rebuy it again, and we're going to run it across the U.S. with Billboard magazines like for everything. And I was like, no way. I'm like, okay, this is maybe doable. And that's kind of what set the tone of, like, okay, maybe I should start submitting some images. And at the time, most people called me to get to get images. Before I really, I'm really bad about pestering people to buy my stuff. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's your style. And so most of it, for, like, just I, just, I'm going to interrupt you sure. for people listening. For people listening, Brian has been petting around the house for like three days, being like, "Oh God, so what are we? Are we do-? like? I could tell you're like, are you sure we're going to do this interview? Yes, Brian, you're not getting out of this interview. Right. You really, really, really are private, genuinely." Private. I'm a very private person. Yeah, you're not a self promoter. I'm the worst of anybody. <laughs> um, which is why for me it's so satisfying to have you sitting across <laughs> from me because I know it's torture and painful for you, but for me I'm just loving it. So, um, but yeah, I can't see you pestering people to buy your photographs. No, no. And it's it's all. I mean, to be honest, I got really lucky. It's just I was at the right place at the right time. I feel like all the time. My whole life isn't really like that. There's a lot of a giant personal roller coaster ride. But with photography, I feel like I've been very, very fortunate and just lucky. That's, I mean, there's so many good photographers out there, and everybody's really good about promoting themselves. And everybody's good. It's, it, I love it. I love it's like, oh, these guys are just crushing it. Like, look at this guy's photo, and look at this girl's photo. Like, it's awesome. I'm not so much into promoting myself, I guess. But I also feel like that there's so many other people out there, how people randomly found me at the right time. I just, it's just lucky. I, I like your story and why I wanted to sit down with you is because I feel like it's very inspirational because there are a lot of people out there who are extremely talented who are not, they, they don't want to self-promote. Not only do they not want to self-promote, the thought of it drives them into even depression, yeah. I mean, my best friend, Adrian Camo, she's a wonderful photographer. Yeah, she's amazing. She is. She she's also, good. She suffers from extreme depression. And she and, and social media hmm. drives her into a deep, dark hole. And to self-promote for her, will, to, to even think about it, will, sometimes we'll send her into a spiral. Well, she won't leave her cabin for three days. All of this to say, your story, I just want other people who aren't wanting to self-promote, I want them to hear that they can make it without having to go down a route that they feel breaches their integrity. But how do they do it, Brian? Is it truly luck? I've just, I was, I don't, yes. I, no, yes. It's a, I, I'm a firm believer that if you work really hard and you love what you do, that everything will be fine because that's just me. I would. I don't really care about money. I just don't. And I see people really submerging themselves into their work, and I feel like that it takes away from life. And I just never wanted that for me. I wanted to be whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to love. Because, I mean, if you're going to spend 10 hours a day or 8 hours a day, or for me, like 16 hours a day doing something, you better really love it. But see, these are the little things. So let's like mi- micromanage this topic yeah. here for a second. So you get a, a break, a single break. 
what you do with that break has to make a difference. Yes. So did you go about it by being by wanting to let the people know that you were super appreciative? Did you let them know in an email, you know, look, I'm here if you'd like more work? Did you yeah. did yeah. you do something you, you slowly learn I slowly learned how to monetize that. Maybe I I, sh- I could have done much better and I still can. Um but it was slowly okay, okay, one person wants to publish something, this guy's publishing something, maybe it gives you a little more courage to reach out and be like, hey, do you guys have a, a photo call sheet? And can you put me on that? Because that's not self-promoting. That's not being you know out there with your image. But that is just developing a professional relationship with a company. Yes. Did you find that your professionalism and your organization maybe set you out and above the rest? Or did you have that with photography? I've always learned, just where I've come from, is that I've always, I've always felt like Things that I want to do, I'm into it so it doesn't feel like work, but I'll always work harder than anybody else. Like I will go harder than any, I, I will go for a, literally a week with no sleep to get what I need to get. I know you like live off Red Bulls and coffee. Your health scares me. <laughs> I'm afraid you're going to slowly kill yourself with caffeine. It's been a good life so far. Yeah, you're happy? Uh, absolutely. When did the film come into play? As far as filming? Yeah. Because well, I mean, like, with, yeah, yeah, cinematography. Back with snowboarding. Oh. We, yeah. So we were uh, we were shooting photos and filming. So we made our own little films. I ended up working for really big um, media companies with high name athletes and big budgets and doing like cable camera work way pre drone. Right. Yeah. Oh God, pre drone. But you know, it it's the sort of thing where nowadays I hear a lot of resentment from photographers and media companies with all the new up and comers who are suddenly, you know, never had to work with film. And right. they, they're putting filters on and Instagram accounts and they're calling themselves photographers. Right. Do you struggle with any of that? Res- I, I can't really see you being resentful, but do you struggle with any of that? Yeah, resentment. I don't resent it. Like, that's just not me. Um, I, th- I think it's disrespectful to working photographers and the industry and to themselves. Talk to me about the damage of giving photos away for free. In the day of social media, it's, it's changed because it seems that people really want to see their stuff out there, which is great. And they'll be doing, they're willing to do undercut everybody else to get ahead. And for the most part, these types of people have different jobs. They're really not full-time photographers, or maybe they come from, they're, they have the money to do it, the means to be able to do it. And I always just, in my head, is like, Where's, do you really love what you do? Do you realize you're undercutting everybody else? I, th- I feel like that editors and a lot of people are in a position to where budgets are super tight. So if they get 10 images and nine people want money for it, then they're going to take the one that they're going to get for free, even if it's maybe a lesser image. And I don't like to talk about or belittle work if that makes sense. So it's, it's a very touchy subject for me internally because it's like a tiptoeing, you know? It's like yep. You want to tell people that their work is no good, but I think that it's like it just needs to be a fair playing field. If there's 10 photographers and there's 10 images and there's $100 for the image, let the best image that works for the situation work, not the cheapest image win. Yeah. Has it affected you personally? Yeah, I've lost thousands of dollars. And as somebody, I mean, tens of thousands of I'm dollars. assuming tens of thousands of dollars matter to you, right? Yeah, for sure. 
how do you tiptoe around that when you have these up and comers who look up to you? How do you handle that when they come to you for advice? Are you honest with them about that? Yeah. Yeah. I help anybody who's ever emailed me to ask me about a camera question or what to do. I've always gave them the honest truth, even though I know in the end it could really hurt me because there's a lot of little tricks, but they're not tricks. There's a lot of little techniques. Let's say there's a lot of techniques, just like fishing to be able to be more efficient have different images, and if someone asks me, I'm going to tell them how to do it because people were really open with me. Can we talk about the Sage video that came out recently? Yes. I love the eye roll. And when Miles played it for me the other night, you were like, I have to leave. <laughs> he yes. literally like walked out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't like seeing myself on camera. <laughs> I know, I understand. But, and I could, even, I could tell when watching you, I was like, oh, he's so uncomfortable yeah, right now. Yeah, super uncomfortable. <laughs> but the story's really interesting. So yes. what is the story behind that? What happened with this camera? A long story short is the camera I had at the time was one of the first digital cameras that came out. And that's what I shot the photo that Catch Magazine used, which Volvo used, which was shot on a kit camera with a kit lens worth $350. And that's what I had to work with. And so it came a time when 8 megapixels isn't going to cut it. And I needed to upgrade. And someone that I knew bought me a camera kit. And it was not cool for me. I did not like that one bit. It was an upgraded kit. Yeah, a severely upgraded kit. Okay. It, well, and you weren't cool with it because now you felt like you are like you owe somebody something. Yep, I don't want to owe anybody nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a charity case. And I have no problems working for everything I have. And I'll even work harder than I need to to get what I need to do. And long story short is there was a big falling out and I put the whole camera kit in the mail and sent it back to him. And, and it wasn't like you're being like you're being an emotional bitch. I mean, no. the person said to you, "I want my camera back." Yes, just to paint a picture. We because got a big fight, and he pulled us like, "Well, I want my stuff back." Here you well, go. I didn't want it anyway, yeah. and he forced me to take it. And here you go. And everybody else around me is like, "No, no, no, it's fine. He'll get over it. Don't do that. That's the worst thing you could do." And I put it in the mail, and everybody's like, "What are you doing? What are you going to do?" I was like, "I don't know." Was this within the last 10 years? Yeah. So you had already made a name, and now you don't have a camera. Yep. What are you going to do? I was just going to quit. But why not just work to make more money to get another camera? Yeah, sure, eventually. It would take me a while, but I had shoots coming up. Like, I would have binded my ability to continue the relationships that I had. And then, therefore, you'd basically be sabotaging your own career. Correct. And everybody else around me was just like, uh... This is the worst idea. Because as soon as you pass up a job, there's someone right next to you. There's a hundred people behind you. And to get back to the front of that line... Is not going to happen. Right. I got it. Okay. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So then what happens? So <laughs> so I remember one day I was in a park and in the shop and a dear friend of mine, Renee Harrop, came in and he's like, Gregson, we need to talk. And I was like, am I in trouble? And it's like, yes. <laughs> that was my heart sank. I, I would, this is the last person I would want to be disappointed in me. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, somebody is, of all people, my hero is disappointed in me or upset with me, and I'm in trouble with them. Like this is a big deal. It, it really is. It was a big deal for me. Yeah. I mean, a huge deal. And he's like, "Listen, man, everybody's raised all this money in town, and there's four big donors, and we bought this whole kit, and you need to accept it." Oh, so had you already rejected it at this point? And I, that was that was the first point that was news to me, and I was like, "Oh, okay. I was like, oh no." No, 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 no. I just went through that whole deal. Like, I'm not getting involved in any of this stuff. I, it's going to be fine. I'll just keep working for, you know, pennies on the dollar, and I'll end up buying a camera again, and everything will be great. And time went on, maybe like a few days, and he pulled me aside, and he's like, you have to take this. You are borderline being disrespectful to everybody who cares about you. You're being selfish, and I just... I, wa- I just looked at it from my narrow point of view of me, and I really didn't think about them. You ran back into the cave, and this guy went and in like, and grabbed you by the happening. scruff of and the neck. you are going to take the money. <laughs> Get out of this cave. you're going to pay it all back. Yeah, yeah. And so with that kind of counsel coming from him, I have deep respect for him, and I felt like that he can probably see something that I can't mm-hmm. at this point, and he's much wiser and older than I am, and he knows a lot about my personal past and about the future that I'm teeter-tottering with. And so I said, okay, if you think this is what I should do, then okay. Did you pay everyone back? Absolutely. What's the camera you've been shooting with this week? Uh, I've been shooting with four. (laughs) (laughs) So have things changed? Like how many cameras have you got now? You know, we have have quite a few cameras. And then I have a partner in crime with Off the Grid Studios with R.A. Biotti. So, you know, we have all the cinema cameras and the photo cameras and the little cameras and the big cameras. Is it surreal, though, to be looking at all these cameras being like, not having a camera almost ruined my career? Yeah. That would have been the worst decision I ever made. When you do have time, do you ever just stop and look around and just let it sink in? Every day. That I'm shooting every day. Because I'm stuck viewing the world from afar, quietly, through a lens, through a small little viewfinder. So there's a lot of time to think about things. You know, I think about all the people that helped me get that camera. I'll never sell that camera. Like, I'll upgrade all the rest of my cameras. You sell and upgrade, sell and upgrade. That one I will never sell, ever. I'll have it for the rest of my life. I won't use it for the rest of my life. I mean, it's, it's going to be up. Updated. The shutter count's going to be too <laughs> hammered and the body's going to, you know, smash to pieces. But yeah. I think about all those people that help me every time I shoot that. And there's a lot of people that help. And there's so many people that I don't know who helped, which is tough for me. Because 
the guy who donated a dollar or the five bucks or the 10 bucks, like, I don't know who this, they wouldn't tell me. Like I paid back thousands of dollars to the big donors, but there was so many people that gave a penny and nickel, you know, a kind word. I don't know who they are. How much are these cameras? We're not talking $800 point and shoots. No, they, uh, they um, it's about $10,000. Holy American. Yeah. That's like $13,000 Canadian. Yeah, and as a photographer that you don't make a lot of money on. You can buy a car for that. Yeah, and it takes a while to pay that back in the fly fishing industry. The photos aren't really worth a lot. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Taking photos and fishing, Mm -hmm. it's hard, right? Well, I guess it depends on what you're taking photos of. But It's very hard to make a long career as a photographer in the fly fishing industry, just to be honest. It really is. What's the biggest struggle? The biggest struggle for me is promoting myself. The other big struggle is fighting through the hundreds of free images that all look the same. And with budgets being low for everywhere, it puts pressure on everyone to maybe take those free images. How do you stand out above the rest? I've worked really hard to gain relationships, and I got lucky. I got lucky with the right people. I mean, I got lucky walking down the aisle when Cloud Bell went under and you know John Malovich and Brian Bennett were right there for, and John's like hey you should meet Brian from Patagonia and what are you doing well I don't, I don't know what I'm doing now because I don't have any waiters or anything <laughs> great well we need images and just luck you know right place at right time I have another great like Hatch reels I've been with them since almost the conception of Hatch and they have been tremendous Sage has been amazing, and everybody's supported me. But, um, but as- I got really lucky with the companies that uh, I've worked with, and they are amazing companies, and they're very loyal, and they're very open, and they're very honest. And you have to be as well. So how do you get paid? For, for, for photographers listening, how do they get paid so that they stop giving their photos away? The honest answer is they're not. What do you mean? In order to make a full living... And this is this is going to sound really negative, maybe, or deterring. There's always a spot for somebody, but there's not a spot for a thousand somebodies. There's only X amount of companies that pay. In all the fly fishing, there's really only X amount of companies that pay. It's the same companies that support the film tours, that buy the ads, that support the magazines, to support the photographers, to support the anglers, to support the industry. There's only a small handful. And the small handful of companies don't need 10,000 photographers. They need a few people that are tried and true and, they, and the marketing team trusts to get them what they need. So you just answered my question then, tried and true. So is the answer you have to be really good and also know the right people? You have to be really good and you have to know the right people and you have to want it more than anybody else. What's the most important part of a photo? How it's laid out, lighting, or whatever it is that you're photographing. What's in the photo. So can you work with lighting and post-pro? I mean, do you play around with a lot of post-production no. stuff? So with, with photographs, you still have that kind of... It came from film. So it was like, yeah, 36 <laughs> shots. You better make all 36 count because it costs $25 dock to dock between buying the film, getting it developed... That's a lot of money. So, so you're eat. not taking thousands of photos per day? Sometimes. Depends on what I'm trying to do. Like I'll take sequences 
of casting because yeah yeah the standards. So when you start shooting casting, you definitely get thousands of photos because you're trying to companies have a certain um, mood board or look that they adhere to, and so you kind of know what they want. And so it's like okay, it might take a, some bursting shots to get that perfect line or this perfect angle. Have you ever had a mood board presented to you that you? You just you couldn't do it was against what what you believed artistically. Uh, no, um, because I'm very picky about. This also holds me back. I'm very picky about who I work with. Interesting. Okay. So I, I kind of tie one hand behind my back a lot. You mean the companies that hire you? Mm-hmm. So what would be a situation where you would say no and and turn down the work? If something I didn't believe in. The product. Yes. Do you find that you ever battle with your own integrity? Because I know we've had a lot of talks the last couple of nights about consumerism and responsibility. A lot. And just in the little bit I've watched you, I can see that you practice. It seems like you practice what you're. Yeah, I do. I, sh- about. I, sh- I will not do. There's certain things I just won't do, and it might change. I, you know, people get older and people change. I mean, I'm not the same person I was when I was 16. I'm yeah, not the same no. person I was when I was 20 or 30. And, I hope that I won't be the same person in five years that I am now. Like a lot of the good qualities, of course, you want, but I think you just need to evolve and thought processes change and maybe you see things from a different point of view. But as of now, I don't think that will ever change. What is a company or product or material that you think is doing major damage to the world right now? Plastic. Okay, so water bottles. Yes. So say that a water bottle company comes to you tomorrow to shoot a campaign and they're going to pay you very good money. What do you say? No. You would, you'd say no. Yeah. So you draw the line, not just artistically, but straight up on products you don't believe in. Yep. Yeah. Have you been faced with one of those yet? All the time. Wow. How do you respond professionally? Just say thank you, but I'm booked out. Or hey, thanks for thanks for finding me. I'm first. I want to know how they found me. Right. right. I'm very curious about that. How do they find you? Word of mouth. Okay. And then you say I'm. I said I just say thanks, but no thanks. Like thank you for thinking of me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Just for personal reasons, I'm just going to have to kindly um, and humbly decline. Do you ever pass on another photographer's name? For some things, yes. For some things, no. Okay. For stuff that I'm very adamant against, it's like, go find him yourself. Sure. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. And good luck with that. Yeah. Did you I'll ever... never find anybody. <laughs> I hope your company rots. <laughs> From a photography stance, and obviously, look, I'm super ignorant with taking photos. I don't even know what to ask you about lighting and stuff. Is there... Do you have any... You've been around cameras... For years. Yeah. I figure like you'd be super dialed in on all that. No. You just do the fishing. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you just fish with me. I literally, I literally, I'm the only fish. <laughs> I literally yeah. just try to like cut it out of the corner of my eye. So I just pretend they're not there. Smart. Um, because they, I find them very intrusive. I can't agree more. Yeah. I really, <laughs> I really quite I work theater them. behind the camera. Yeah. Do you, are you one of those people? See, the reason why I love taking pictures with Adrian is when I'm with Adrian, I don't even know she's taking pictures. Right. I just don't even know. She shoots from the hip all the time. I'll be doing my own thing. I'll look back at her and all of a sudden she's taking a picture. Before I can even comprehend that there's a camera in, in my face, it's gone again. She really, she knows I hate cameras. She goes out of her way to make it so I don't even see it. Do you do, is that how you act? I mean, cause we, say for we night, were filming, you and I were, right. were make, we're doing like um, a television thing. Mm-hmm. So we haven't actually done any still shot. Am mm-hmm. I saying it right? What's the right word for yeah, that? Still, still photo. Yeah, but so. I did. I took a lot of still photos of you. They just didn't know. But when you're shooting on a, on a on a shoot, mm-hmm. are you in people's faces? 
I would say 95% of my shoots, no. I want everything very natural. It takes a minute for people to get used to cameras. Um, so I'll grab a long lens and just go away mm-hmm. and just let people do what they want to do. And they just get comfortable and they start, what I've found is that people start, they're super antsy and kind of always looking over their shoulder to figure out where you are in the beginning. But then once they just get into the fishing, they just get back, they just go with what they know and they're zoned in and they're very concentrated on the fishing. And at that point you can kind of see it with body posture and stuff. And then I can just kind of, I'll start just to slowly move around and shoot and get the angles I need. But I very rarely ask anybody to do anything for most of the shoots. I mean, some shoots are very contrived where it's like, we need this shot, this person doing this thing. And I, I get that. What are the biggest mistakes that you see up and coming or, or aspiring fly fishing photographers or even outdoor photographers make? Trying to sprint. It's a long game. And so... They're trying to like build Rome in a day, you mean? Yeah. Like get everything I possibly need that all these guys have and then go out in the field and do the same thing. And I feel like that people miss the same with, I feel like that's a lot with a lot of things. The basic fundamentals is what people should be practicing, whether they're snowboarding or operating a camera, because when shit hits a fan and things are going crazy, you just fall back on your training. You're like, if you don't have edge and board control when you're going to be flying down the side of the mountain and you start to lose balance, if you don't know how to basically gain control again and going Mach 10 into a jump, you're not really going to make it. What do you notice in their photographs to, sh- to tell you this person's not there yet? Most people don't look further than what the subject they're shooting at, meaning they forget to look at the background, they forget to look at the foreground, they forget the framing, they forget everything that you should be studying and mastering the basic fundamentals because those need to be second nature when you get that 30 second of good light or get the fishing jump. Something you should never think about, but you should always be practicing. You're just going to miss it. What's easier to shoot, micro or landscape? Landscape's easy. Is it micro? Is that what it's called? Is it macro? Macro. Macro. That's up. I think they're both easy. I think think photography is relatively easy. I think it's really hard to be good at it. And especially nowadays, if you can really see people's body of work and you can tell right away, especially for someone like us, we've seen so many photos that everybody's shooting the same photo of the same angle with the same camera, with the same gear, everything's the same. And I mean, then even me, when I first came in, you know, a lot of the older photographers really weren't too stoked that I was coming into the fly fishing industry. And you have to figure out, okay, this is what these guys are shooting. This is their style. i got to develop my own. What would you call it? How would you define your style if you had to? I have no idea. I really don't. To be honest, I don't, I don't, my, I feel like most of my work is terrible. I feel like I see emotion through your work. That's what I try to portray. Do you feel like that's one of the things that sets you apart? Probably. Yeah. And then how do you do that? Do you, I mean, it's kind of ironic because it all kind of circles right back to you as a person. Because as much as we like to try to separate ourselves professionally and personally, at the end of the day, if I'm comfortable with you taking photos of me because I like who you are as a person, you're going to get raw emotion out of me, which is going to make your photo better and ultimately set you apart. Correct. So it does kind of, it all kind of comes back to who you are as a person. Yes. I feel like, it depends on what you're, yes. In a lot of ways, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I wonder if that's one of the things that people need to work on too, is maybe just developing a relationship with the person they're shooting. Right. And maybe seeing 
the long game of more than just a snapshot. I feel like most people, I take that back, I feel like there's a lot of snapshots out there, meaning it's just a, oh, quick, and got it, where it's not really like, okay, I want to take a photograph. I want to take something that actually, and with fishing you can't, because you can and you can't. You know, you need a picture of the fish, you need the jumping, you need the boat. So there's a lot of the same generic stuff, but there's also a time and a place where you can try to pull something out of a photograph. And all the photographers I like are, they have they shoot all emotional photos, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, very interesting. Now you're teaching photography? I am. And where do you do that? We do that globally. Um, we have a few photo workshops a year. We try to do one in the U.S. and then one international. In person, right? You go and yeah. you sit down. How many people do you teach at a time? We try to keep it to three students per instructor. Okay. And then do they have to bring in their own cameras? Yes. What if someone just wants to start, but they're like you and they don't have, they don't have a camera? If someone wants to start to shoot photos, I would say you're going to have to use what you have. What if uh, they just have one of those basic kits like you had? Great. And they can take the class with that? Yeah, absolutely. As long as you can shoot manual, you can shoot. As long as you can shoot manual camera, then we can do anything. I mean, if you want to come and show, I was like, hey, man, I just got an iPhone. Great. Really? Someone could take your workshop with an iPhone? If they really wanted to, it it would take a lot of apps and programs (laughs) to get to where you could control light and control stuff. And if they really wanted to do it, I would do it, but it would be tough. It'd be best if you just had just a cheap little camera. Mm-hmm. People people see the cameras we have, and their first comment, for the most part, is like, "Wow, that is a nice camera. I bet it takes good photos." Is it offensive? I've got a girlfriend who takes beautiful photos, and whenever people say to her, "Oh, that camera takes great photos," she she will never say anything, but she tells me it really offends her. It doesn't offend me because they're naive to the whole thing. They're just, they're just trying to be nice and give you a compliment. That's what they're trying to do. That's their end goal. So I'm not offended by it because they're like, wow, that's a nice camera. You know, they're just trying to make conversation and they're really not thinking about it. But I always, <laughs> I always say, yeah, I taught everything I know. And they stare at me <laughs> and I was like, hey, that's a nice oven. I bet you bake good bread. I bet you make the best pies ever. That's an expensive oven. And they're like, what? No, I, your I have oven, to, I have to your make oven makes the best pies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, wait, no. It's like, no, it doesn't. I had, I had to do it. That's it's a like, good, exactly. Good comparison. Because it doesn't matter what if you have the most expensive camera or a cheap camera. You're limited, of course, with a lot of things. But it's what's in the photo that really matters. What are you going to start doing when if? companies change hands, you start to lose some business, new up and comers, you know, I think a lot of the time about the Becks, for example, you know, they've, they don't have, they did so much work and then all these up and comers came. And I often wonder if they struggle to find work these days, how are you going to handle that scenario? I think you'd have to, and I'm not, I don't know if the Becks are struggling to find work. I'm just saying I've seen, there's been a shift. There, yeah, there's always a shift. Yeah. I mean, I saw the shift from film to digital. I saw the older photographers were like, well, I have so much invested in film. Mm. I have so much camera and lenses, and this is going to digital. It's not as good as an image. This is just like the beta tape. It's like the story of Kodak, though, isn't it? It's just not going to work. Was that Kodak, the mm-hmm. company? And didn't they damn near go under because they weren't going to switch to digital? Yeah, everybody went. Everybody who didn't switch went under. Right. Because there was no need. I mean, even the films, like, go try to find, like, Scully, a black and white film. It doesn't exist. And if you can find it, who's going to develop it? 
Are you scared that that's going to happen to you? And how are you going to handle it if it does? I've been pretty good about keeping up with the times, whether I like the times or not. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, I'm not naive to the fact that things change because I saw that shift. I saw people who were making a lot of money and doing amazing work and who were better photographers than most everybody else just like, I'm just wrapping it up. I'm at retirement age and... Luckily, at that time, you could make a lot more money shooting photos. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do for retirement? Do you see that you Me? have a retirement in yeah. your future? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I already have it all planned out. What's your plan? I am going to get, I'm guessing like when I retire, there's going to be like a cool iPad. And I'm just going to load all my photos onto them. And I'm probably going to work the door at Walmart or Cabela's. And just, it's super easy. I'm just going to relive all my moments and just be like, welcome to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> you got heat in the in the winter. You got AC in the summer. You, have- you asshole! I was following you the whole way there. I was like, I you, have- even to the point where you said work at Walmart. I was like, okay. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> but I uh, and the reason why, and it's an honest. That's what I tell everybody is because like I don't ever see myself retiring. There's, okay, you can't make enough money in this job. You really threw me for a loop when you said that you had it all mapped out. I was like, how? Heck, what really already? What is the plan? Yeah, no, okay, I no plan. I have, I have no plan. I honestly, I've never really had a plan. Like, to anybody who's listening, I've never had a plan for anything other than just, just going forward, just put one foot in front of the other and going, doing what I want to do because I love doing it. There's a lot of sacrifice into doing what you love to do. It's a huge sacrifice that most point, people, most people aren't willing to make the sacrifice to do what they love. But you're happy you did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not easy. And a lot of people think it's a very fantasy life that don't know me or just see stuff from maybe the outside. It's like, oh, this guy is just traveling the globe. He's home a week, a month, and he is living the dream. And yeah, they're right. I am living my dream. But I've sacrificed, and I still sacrificed a lot to do it. So how bad do you really want it? It's lonely. Yeah, I'm by myself. Being on the road is really lonely. And I'm a super private person. Yeah. So I struggle with that too. And then... I know, we're giggling because I was always, I always just assumed you were like a player. <laughs> I know, how that? I was like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> right? And so you just assume that this guy's out, you know, getting Most people the do. ladies. And, but then now, and like hanging out with you, I re, it's very clear that... I could see how for you, especially, you're not out partying, you're very professional, you're focused on what you're doing. I just can't see you going out there and putting yourself out there to be social, especially when you're only in town for a week. Yeah. No, just not me. Just not me. I don't feel comfortable doing any of those things. Yeah. Um, But people think that a lot, especially like maybe people I've dated and date, they it's like, show me a picture of where you think I am in Mexico. And it's yeah. always like Cancun, you know, with like a million girls in bikinis. And it's like, okay, that's great. Let me show you where I really was. Like, I'm in a hammock, getting bit by bugs, sweating, living the same clothes because I'm limited by weight. So I can only bring two shirts and two pants for a month. And I have to, you know, wash my underwear in the river <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. the sink. Yeah, dream versus and reality. There is none of these types of people, and I'm not at a resort. And so I think it, it's kind of shocking for people. And they don't understand how much hours goes into it. Yeah. 
I'm like, why? How'd you get the star shots? Like, you got to be awake. Like all night getting that. Yeah. And the sunrise and the sunset and in the, the daytime. It's like, well, when do you sleep? And it's like, oh, that's not in my in my portfolio. Meanwhile, you're cracking another Red Bull. I'm drinking more coffee. Do you think you'll ever settle down? No, I just not me. I, I've come to the terms <laughs> that I'm not dating material and I'm not settling down material. I'm just. I try. I think dating material I, and settling down material are very different things. They are, but you, you got to date to settle down. No, no, I don't think you need to settle down. Oh, it's true. I'm, I'm talking like, I guess I mean like, you know, starting a family, settling down. But you I have, guess. look, you already have, a, yeah, maybe I got, I, in your future, in your cards, maybe more kids aren't there. No. You have no, a relationship no. with your son? Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. But, you know, talking about relationships, and we won't go too far down that road, especially considering how much you like your privacy, but for a lot of people listening, there are a lot of people, both fishing guides and photographers, who are like, I have the same problem, I can't find a relationship, and they tend to really lose hope. They are out there. Sure. It just takes a special partner who gets it. It's going to take the right person to come along. Yes, that's all. So don't give up hope on that. I understand maybe you're like, okay, I'm not going to settle down with a white picket fence. Right, but, right, right. But it does, you know, it uh, you can have the life that you guys, that you have or that a lot of these guys and gals want and still find the right person. It just has to be the right person. And so far at this age, um, I haven't found them. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I, uh, I'm, uh, and most of the people that I, I'd say 99% of the people that I've dated, we're still friends, but it's just like, they have a perception of maybe my job and career than the reality of it. And it's like, you're never home. It's like, no. And it's just always going to be this way. It's like, yes. Yeah. Well, at least you're honest. Brian, we have covered so much. Is there anything that I've missed I bet you you got some crazy ass part of your timeline and, and you just won't even tell me unless I pry it from you. But but seriously though, is there a part of the timeline that is a major part of your life that I've missed? No. You just lied to me. <laughs> um yeah, there probably. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of struggles that I would prefer to keep private. Is there any advice you'd like to give to an up and coming photographer who really looks up to you and appreciates the work you've done? Anybody out there who wants to shoot photos, shoot them for the right reasons, because you love to. And I think that if you really, really love what you're doing truly, and you're working harder than everybody else, then good things will come. I really believe that. That's what happened to me. Is there anything that you would like to add or ask me? No. It's, <laughs> no. Um, this is super uncomfortable for me. I know. Uh, and I feel like that there's so many other people out there that have such more, uh, they're more interesting, fascinating people out there. I just feel like that, I don't know, I'm wasting time. I don't, if that makes sense. Like like your time? Wasting your time. No. Like I'm not that interesting. I'm really not. I'm just a normal dude just taking photos and just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And I feel like there's so many cool people out there. I mean, I see them all the time with cameras and I'm around them. I'm like, wow, that guy... That person, that woman, they are so cool. Like, they have such an interesting story. I would love to learn more about them. Well, you're entitled to your own opinion. <laughs> <laughs> we can agree to disagree on certain things like this. Um, yeah. And if it makes you feel better, a majority of people I sit down with think that they don't have a story until they actually start telling the story. Now, you've only told me a fraction of your story, but... Do me a favor. So when we're done this and I've hit, I've stopped recording, yeah. I want you to think of all the little things that you didn't tell me. And I want you to ask yourself sincerely, 
if maybe you have a bigger story than you realize. Maybe. It's your story. It's not for me to air. And just because you're not sharing it doesn't mean that it's not interesting or worthy of my time. Fair enough. I mean, I think that I didn't do podcasts or self-promotion for a lot of selfish reasons. And so I'm trying to not be selfish at this stage in my life and just kind of go with the flow. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity, April. Thank you very much for coming onto the show. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review about Anchored online. <laughs>